Welcome to the Born to Be a Badass podcast, the show about the intersection of women's empowerment, embodiment, and self-defense, and what women need to know and do to enhance their physical, mental, and emotional safety. Here's your host, fourth-degree black belt and self-protection expert, Cynthia Jalakor-Rude. Welcome to the Born to Be a Badass podcast. I'm your host, Cynthia Jolicoeur-Rude. And today I am really thrilled to bring a very unusual guest on the show, Ms. Kinko Hamilton. Kinko has a mission to heal the world. While she was taking a break from her holistic healing practice due to pregnancy and the delivery of her second son, she started exploring martial arts, thinking that she was learning self-defense. After several serious injuries, she started redefining what self-defense is, and now she teaches Tony Blower's Spear System as an official affiliate trainer. Kinko has also studied DTS, which is DeCosco's tactical system, Kyushu Jitsu, which is pressure point self-defense, and trauma-informed self-defense. She created and hosted the Women's Self-Defense Summit in 2020, and will continue to host it every year, gathering the world's top self-defense experts to educate women to live inspired and empowered. She's fluent in Japanese and plans to bring her worth to her birth country, Japan, in the near future. She is also the host of a great podcast called Rise Up Against Violence. Welcome to the show, Kinko. Thank you so much for having me, Cynthia. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I've been looking forward to this ever since you ran that self-defense summit. And that was where I first learned about you and went, oh, my gosh, that's somebody I need to talk to. So <laughs> I'm glad we finally got this together. This is great. Yes. So excited. Thank you so much. Well, I like to start my interviews off with a couple of little warm up questions before we dive into the nitty gritty. So are you ready for that? You're getting me nervous, but yes, sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, get out of the fear loop, girl. <laughs> Okay. When you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh my gosh. So I wanted to be a singer. I wanted to be an actress. But before that, first thing I wanted to do was I wanted to own a bakery because I loved cakes so much, right? And I was raised in such a strict family and just very low sugar or no sugar even. So my goal was to have as much sugar as possible. So if I own a bakery, that shouldn't be a problem. So that was my dream. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think there's probably quite a few of us who could relate to that. <laughs> if you could travel to any time period, either forwards or backwards, where or when, I guess I should say, would you go? Where or when? I would love to go to the oldest in Egypt and meet Cleopatra. Mm -hmm. Oh, tell me more about that. That's cool. Well, she is one of the first female figure like in power, right? In our history. And like, I want to know how she managed that, like how she managed to manage the country and unite country, first of all. And dealt with all those things because I worked in male dominant industry too. And it's just so difficult for women, especially I was young and, you know, small and Japanese. And it's just so tough to manage or deal with, especially the older men, gentlemen. 
So I want to know, I want to learn from her. I want to be her assistant and uh, learn how she did it. And, you know, what her strategy was, how she communicated with others, all the tactics. That would be fascinating. I think I would, if I got the chance to ask her a question, I would ask her like how she set boundaries and enforce them. Cause I think she was fairly ruthless. Oh, she's a badass. You should have her on this podcast. She's like the best guest for you. Yes. <laughs> That'd be great. I can see myself climbing into the time machine with my podcast recording equipment and yes. going back to ancient Egypt. <laughs> yeah. You know, Cynthia, she was the first one actually kind of embraced aromatherapy. So she had like, I think bathtub, you know, her bathtub was filled with rose petals every day. And that's why even she was like 60s or 70s, her boyfriend was, you know, 20 years old, 30 years old, because she looked so young and vibrant. And she contributed that to her daily rose self-care regimen. Oh, wow. That's really cool. I love baths with stuff in them. And I used to do things that had like rose petals and things, but I got tired of cleaning my bathtub because all that stuff sticks <laughs> to the edges. She probably didn't have to worry about that though. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> that's neat that that's where we went with that though, because my next question for you is what is your favorite self-care practice? Oh my goodness. My favorite self-care practice is breathing, actually breathing and also essential oils. Breathing. Yeah, yeah, I was going to ask you, like, mm -hmm. what do you do for breathing and then how do you use the oils? So breathing, we are conditioned to breathe through mouth, right? Either inhale through your mouth. We try to inhale through your nose. But if you just pay attention to yourself most and others, most people are probably breathing through the mouth and breathing out of the mouth, right? And there is a method called oxygen advantage. And I'm learning this from Brian Mirabella. He's in New York City. And he teaches elite athletes in the world, including US wrestling team, you know, fastest kid in Australia, the world boxing champion. So those elite athletes who need to obviously have to have a good breathing method to last long and perform at the best, right? Mm -hmm. And there are so many breathing techniques out there, somatic breathing technique or Kiai included. But when you really dig into the science and how actually cells work and how oxygens deliver into the cells where most needed, we traditionally taught is not appropriate. So basic exercise that I do just to share with you is your mouth should be closed all the time, unless you're talking, obviously, or eating, right? And breathe through your nose, like four seconds, and breathe out through your nose, six seconds, and hold for five. So you never hold your breath when you inhale. The reason is in order for oxygen to be delivered to the each cell, nitric oxide 
which is produced in the nose. I know it's kind of a little technical, so maybe you're boring out of your mind right now. But my no, point this is, is cool. <laughs> this is cool. I love geeking out on this stuff. Yeah, yeah. But you know, CO two is considered to be bad, right? CO2, you got to breathe it out, breathe it out because it's not oxygen. So you have to breathe it out. No, actually CO2 is the one to helps oxygen to get pushed into the cell, you know, where needed, where it's needed. So this is called oxygen advantage. And you just, you can Google Brian Mirabella. Brian is B-R-Y-A-N. He's fantastic. I highly suggest you to reach out to him and just mention my name. Since I started this method, I sleep so well. Like I'm a good sleeper to begin with, but you know, since I hit 40 years old, like I started getting up in the middle of the night to go to the restroom. I was so shocked because I thought it only happens to the grandmas, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, OMG, that's what's happening to me, right? And since I started this, no, like I go to sleep, I wake up when I wake up in the morning well, with the alarm. And wow. my son practiced soccer. He, uh, he plays soccer very competitively. And I introduced him this breathing technique. I think it was day before the state championship cup because, you know, state championship cup is just so competitive, right? And I told him to do this certain um, practice and that seriously see that it's amazing. His focus was so like a different level. He has ADD. He manages well with the medication, but like he was like a different player. played so well. His decision was on point. He played so well. Then he kept doing it. Just amazing. He's just getting better and better and better. And he's, you know, conditioned better, more stronger. So that's kind of breathing technique that I do as soon as I wake up before lunch, before dinner. So you do it multiple times a day? Yes, just to, because I just started it, right? So anything that if you don't practice, you forget. And the more you practice, more aware you become. So you breathe anyways. Why don't I breathe better and deliver oxygen where it's needed, you know? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. How much time do you spend doing that when you take a moment, you know, when you do get up or before lunch? How much yeah. time do you spend? It's about 10 to 12 minutes for one exercise. That's definitely doable. That's the kind of thing where... You know, I like to habit stack. <laughs> you know, <if> something <laughs> that I regularly do. I like to add something new onto that. And you know, it's so really amazing. Yeah, that's a that's a cool thing. I do breath work too, but I usually do it right before I go to bed for the same reasons and pretty much the same paradigm that you were talking about. Although I I came to it you know through a different route, but mm -hmm. I noticed that it definitely helps with relaxation and going to sleep. But the other reason why I do it is because it's something that can really help when we get into that fear loop and our nervous systems start responding to something that we have to deal with. And yes. uh, being able to just pause and even take, you know, two or three breaths that are mm -hmm. conscious like that can really mm -hmm. help our nervous system kind of get out of that adrenalized fight or flight type state 
mm-hmm. and be present. So that's kind of why I started doing it was just so that in the future, if I have another situation where it's like, oh crap, what's going on? I got to deal with this. You know, I can go right straight to, I know how to, I know how to breathe. You know, it only takes a couple seconds and it's a great reset. So that's how I came into it. So that's cool that that's one of your self-care practices. Yes. And since I started this, I don't, you know, I have a such short temper. People are like, what? But yeah, yes, I get angry, especially children. You know, I have two boys, but no, I don't. I'm totally chill now. And, and I credit this to this breathing technique. So mm-hmm. fear loop you're talking about, you know, when you're fearful or when you have something in your chest, you feel it, right? You're holding the breath, right? Yeah. So in order for you to really learn what it means to hold breath and what it feels like to be truly feeling good, you become so much more aware of yourself, hence like Tony Blower says, more situationally aware, right? Right. And you don't get in the fear loop either because you are so aware of yourself and your capability and your decision-making. I feel like, um, is it okay that I'm so chill? Like it's so calm right now? You know, it's that calmness. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And the answer is yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Well, I'd also love to hear about the aromatherapy and the essential oils. That's something that I have always enjoyed, but not, I'm not really a, an intelligent user of my oils. I just know what I like and I remember to pull them out from time to time. (laughs) But, you know, I know there's a lot of people who really do understand, you know, this one's good for this and that one's good for that and blend these two and that kind of thing. (laughs) So what do you do and how did you get into that? Yes, that's a very good question. So my sister, younger sister was sick. She's been suffering for a long time and she lives in Japan. And we took her to different doctors, neurosurgeons, brain doctors, spine doctors, any kind of doctors you can think of, like we took her there and nobody was able to help her. But instead, actually she was getting worse. Every time we took her to the doctor, different doctors, they gave her more prescriptions, right? And she was getting more medications and she was getting worse. So I was looking at her and I was telling my mom, because mom was taking care of her at the time, like, what are you doing? What are the doctors doing? Why that medicine not working? Like, did you take her to this doctor, right? I was doing all the research. She was doing what I told her to do because I was living in Las Vegas at the time. Then when she got really sick, I thought myself like, this is not working. What I've been doing, what I've been doing to her is not working clearly. So what are the options? And I thought, you know what? Everybody's got to eat, right? So mm-hmm. I researched how to cure yourself with food kind of thing. And I found this organization called U.S. and Japan Cancer Control Society. And their office was near my mom's house where my sister lived. So I contacted them and actually went back to Japan and knocked on their door. This is a situation. I need to know what you do to cure 
cancer, you know, stage four, stage five cancer patients with food. Show me what you do. Then he, chairman or president of the, you know, organization, showed me how, explained to me. And I said, okay, this is great. So I took a course, programs, and I became an advisor of that diet therapy, orthomolecular nutrition, it's called. It basically means normalizing the cellular activity through food. And this is great, right? Because it's fascinating. Yeah, she's going to eat. So this is how she's going to eat. This is what she's going to eat. Then turn out my sister was in so much pain. Only thing she was looking forward to it is food and a smoking cigarette. So what I told her was, you got to stop smoking and you got to eat this way. And how, you know, da, 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 da. Oh, she hated it. So she ended up not doing it, but my mom started doing it. And she was like, oh my God, this is great. I feel so much better. You know, digestive system's working. I feel younger, warm energies, right? It's awesome. But I felt my mission to help my sister. So I looked into holistic healing, but you know, as I was reading the book, I was like, you know what, this is so stupid, like herbs and, you know, rosemary or like orange or, you know, I'm like, if this works, like this is so stupid, but I had no other options, right? Because I did all the prescriptions and everything doctors told us to do. So, okay, what do I have to lose? Nothing. So let's do that. And I found this company who has essential oils that are safe to ingest. So I started researching that essential oils. Also, I love chemistry. So I researched chemistry, look into the essential oil and specific brand. And I became a clinical master aromatherapist at the same time. Oh my so, God, you're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's all for to help my sister. I was dedicated, right? Yeah. And so I gave up my career in the hospitality industry and I became this holistic person. And I introduced some of the practices to my sister's life. And she liked it because she didn't have to change anything. All she had to do was diffuse something or, you know, if she feels pain, put that on here or whatever. Right. And I gave her some specific combination to ingest and stuff. And she was feeling better. So I'm like, okay, this is great. And I started sharing with others and everybody was becoming healthier and whatever they had, they just got rid of it. So, wow, this is amazing. So I just dedicated myself to be a holistic practitioner. I worked, uh, I would say until 2013 or 14, well, 2014, yeah for seven years and yeah, I did a lot of things, a lot of great things with, you know, holistic doctors, hospitals. I helped a lot of cancer patients, but then because I didn't know how to set boundaries and take care of myself while I was taking care of those people in need, I just got tired of it. Like I became kind of depressed, you know, because dealing with those sick people actually affected me negatively, right? Mm-hmm. So as I got pregnant with my second son and had to move to Hawaii from New New Jersey, I just quit my practice and I decided to chill. 
And like you introduced me at the beginning, I became a martial artist <laughs> and started exploring self-protection. Right. Well, we're going to dig into that in just a minute, but I do still want to know, like, how do you use essential oils in your yeah. own life now? Like, how is that part of your self-care? Okay. So from the morning, when I wake up, I put essential oil in my water. Please just make sure the essential oils, like, you know, 99% of them are not ingestible. So make sure your essential oil is ingestible, like supplement grade, Mm -hmm. right? And I do that. And I have, what is it? Body soap, shampoo, conditioner, everything has essential oils. And I take essential oil supplements. I make my own combination. And... What do I do? I diffuse essential oils. Oh, and I when I do laundry, I you know drop five or six drops of tea tree or whatever I feel like it, rosemary, lemon into the detergent, and I wash laundry with it. I clean with the essential oils. Basically, I'm not as crazy as I was before, but I'm very much anti-hazardous chemicals. Mm-hmm you know, non-GMO, organic. I even joined the protest, like, no more GMO. Remember those days? When, <laughs> yes, when was do. that? <laughs> it was like probably five, six years ago, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I joined the protest against Monsanto. So I'm very, you know, health nut in a way. Well, I just, I love that you go all in, you know, when there is <laughs> yes, dangerous. You know, and, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, it's unusual to be willing to just dive in so wholeheartedly and to really study something that's completely outside your previous experience and master it. You know, that's really cool. That was what you did. And Thank I you. can see, you know, this whole thing of, of wanting to avoid hazardous chemicals and things like that. I resonate with that totally. And it's funny because it's right in line with self-defense, right? You know, there's so much more to protecting ourselves than fighting and keeping our bodies and our homes and our environments healthy and not full of toxic fumes and other things is a part of that. So it makes perfect sense to me. That is what you do. And I will say, I feel like a twit because I never thought to put essential oils in my laundry. That is such a smart thing to do. And it never occurred to me to do that. So I got a new practice. Yay. You just don't like those, you know, I'm not going to mention the name, but like those red container, the old detergent and stuff. No, I just get the, (laughs) you know, gnomes, aroma thing and add those. That's cool. What advice would you give to young women in their 20s that you wish that you'd known when you were that age? Yeah, you know, this is a very good question because you ask every guest in your show, right? I do. It's an important one for me. (laughs) Yeah, so I expected this question to be asked. Yeah, (laughs) this is a very hard one. I've been thinking about this since we decided, you know, you um, offered me to be on this show. So the answer that I would like to share with you or the advice that I'd like to share with you for the young ladies is... I just want to say straight up, you are perfect. Everybody says, oh, you know, I'm not perfect or you're not perfect. No, you're born perfect. I think, I believe your job 
it's like taking off, you know, onion peel or blankets, the heavy expectations from others of you or whatever the nasty words, you know, thrown at you as you've grown up or whatever the belief system, they put it in you, you, right? Those are the blankets that you're carrying and walking around with it. And you are born perfect. Just focus on taking those, stripping those blankets off because you're already divine and you know that. And you can always, if you don't like where you are, you're not tree, you can always move. If you don't like what you're seeing, you can always create the new, new environment, new you, right? Because everything you see is just a reflection of you. So if you don't like what you're seeing, it's in you and you can always change that. And I would like you to know you're perfect. You look perfect. You smell perfect. You know, you laugh perfect. You're perfect. So just enjoy, embrace yourself and whatever the blankets you're carrying with you, that's your job to get rid of. I love that. That is such a message of just radical acceptance and, you know, recognizing that the things that weigh you down that belief that many of us develop of, you know, I'm not good enough or I need to change because I'm not right yet. Like those are really false. You know, those are things that you don't have to continue to, to drag along and, and let inhibit you. So I just, I love that message and it ties in super well to the concept that I have that you're born to be a badass. Yeah, no, that's so true. Yes, I, I like to say you're born to be a goddess. I love it. <laughs> well, I would like to hear a little bit about, you know, what it was like growing up in Japan. And I know that you were bullied as a child. So mm-hmm. how did that affect you? And how is that influencing the way you're raising your own children? So it's kind of a big question, but yes. It is, but it's very much related, right? Yes. So I was bullied because I was different. I grew up in Japan and women supposed to just follow and follow men or listen to authorities. Don't talk back. Don't challenge the status quo. But yeah, I was a very good girl and I was doing that. You know, I wanted to live up to the expectation that my father had. But I knew inside of me since when I was a child, I still remember it just didn't feel right. And every time I talked back to my father or, you know, not talking back like badly, but like asking him questions like why is this? But that was not even allowed. You know, you're just supposed to listen, shut up and listen and do what I tell you to do. So I was not happy with that. But, you know, that's how it is. So that's how I lived. But at school, because of the stress, right? Such a like, you just listen to your dad, do that. Study, study, study. So school, I would say school was a place that I was able to be myself, you know, a little bit like fun and whatever I wanted to do. 
But I guess I was very open about sharing my feelings or tell you if that doesn't sound right, which is not really something you see in Japan, especially among the children, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was bullied. Yeah, I think the first time I was bullied was probably the, when I was second grade. I had a bunch of people waiting for me at the bottom of the stairs and I knew something was wrong. So I just turned around, run away and went, got home safely. And after that, yeah, I don't know. I just, I decided to, that's my trauma response, right? So because of all those things, people just said that I was different. I believed I was different, but not in a bad way, but I thought I'm different. Of course I'm different because I'm not them, I'm myself. You know, I kind of validated the difference and I devoted my time in library. I read so many books like you wouldn't believe. And I, I st- would, <laughs> I would, cause I did too. <laughs> yeah, right. So I read so many books and at the same time, I loved playing piano. So I started playing piano and I practiced two, three hours a day, every day after school. So that was healing for me. You know, I just don't remember much when I was elementary school, when I was going to elementary school, because I was just so bullied so much. I remember who bullied me and what happened. Oh, one time, Cynthia, you're going to love this. This boy was bullying me and I just had enough, you know, one time to snap. So what I did was I think I talked back to him and he came close to me, like maybe three foot range, right? And I wasn't practicing martial arts or anything. You know what I did? I high kicked him. Boom! And he knocked down and he never believed me again after that. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, they don't like getting hurt, do they? Oh, like watch it. But the, I think that was the one time I actually physically confronted like fall back. You know, and mm-hmm. I was kind of like a Tom's boy. Like I was always doing board stuff because girls were mean to me, you know? So I was always hanging out with boys and the girls didn't like that either. Right. Mm-hmm. So the kids are cruel. Um, but now I have two boys and I see warning sign of bullies, you know, and my older one actually was bullied when he was, he's not sixth grader, so maybe he was in second, third grader, maybe second or third. He came home, the opened glue bottle was, you know, in his backpack, opened ketchup was in his lunch bag or actually backpack and stuff. And his hoodie was stolen like a few, few times. So I brought it up to the school. What happened was my son was actually protecting other kid who was being bullied. And one time he stood up for this kid and bullies started bullying my son too. So I applaud him for standing up, right? And brought to school. But school was just such a bad school. Even though it was a private and board school, they just made a false statement they forged my son's statement, all sort of stuff. So we ended up pulling him out of school. 
and put him in a different school. But now he's 12 and he's such a soft boy. He doesn't want in every time I'm like, let's do something. He's like, oh, mommy, don't hurt me. You know, I'm like, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm trying to show you if somebody, you know, like trying to do scenario training. Right. And he's just not into it. But the other day, this kid who has been verbally abusing my son slapped his head from his back. So they were on a, a school bus and this kid just came up, reached over and hit my son on his head. So he stood up, turned around and punched him twice. So I said, good for you, bro. Right on. And of course, I reported to school what happened and all that. But I teach my sons to ask when they're uncomfortable at school or whatever, somebody's, you know, not kind to them. I ask them to ask the person why. Trying to be just friend with them, just listen to them and why they're doing that to you. What's the problem? What can I do? What can they do to help them, you know, help solve that, right? And if that doesn't happen, you need to bring that to school, to the teacher, because they are still young, you know? Right. And get adults involved. And if that doesn't work, ambush situation like the bus just happened to my son. You know what you have to do because you have to shut it down because they just basically, it's about control, you know? It's about territory, like how much they can take, how much my son can take from this person, how much abuse he can take, right? Mm -hmm. So I said, listen, first, just be gentle with it because again, good person has a bad day too. You know, you never know what happened to this kid. Maybe that kid was just, had stress at home. I don't know, maybe abuse at home. You never know. So I teach my sons to be compassionate, try to understand what's going on, what happened, you know, be friends, right? And if that doesn't happen, hey, we don't have to be friends. I don't like you. You don't like me. Just keep it that way. And if somebody physically attacks you, you know what you got to do. You got to hit back and make sure you finish it. That's how I teach. As a woman and as a mother of daughters, I know that life can feel pretty damn scary and with good reason. Whether you've experienced violence before or you're just aware that it's out there and it stops you from moving freely around this world, you're not alone. The numbers are not pretty. It's estimated that 35% of women worldwide have experienced either physical or sexual intimate partner violence or violence by a non-partner. The National Crime Victimization Survey reported that more than 600 women in the U.S. are raped or sexually assaulted every day. But I want you to know that you don't have to live in fear. You and your daughter can and deserve to navigate this world feeling confident, prepared, and most of all, completely capable of taking care of yourself and your loved ones. Because you were born ready. When you learn how to recognize and use the self-protection tools that you were born with, your innate built-in self-defense system, you can keep yourself safe. And I can show you how to do that. In my new program, Born Ready, 
the three life-saving self-defense tools for empowered women, you will get a quick, powerful introduction to key self-defense concepts and tools to jumpstart your safety. Here's just a bit of what you'll cover. The first module is all about your amazing body, how your body and brain are designed to protect you. You landed on the planet well-equipped to keep yourself safe. And yeah, we've been domesticated, but this is where you will learn how to get in touch with your built-in protection system. Module two is all about nonviolent postures. Now, most assaults do not start out of the blue with violence. They start with an interaction between two or more people that goes down the wrong path. So in this module, you discover how to stop a situation from becoming unsafe and how to keep yourself safe if it does go violent. Module three is tools and targets. It's all about how to use your human weapon tools to fight if you should ever become the victim of a true ambush, somebody attacking you with no warning, or if you become involved in a confrontation that turns violent. This is exactly what you need to lay the foundation for your personal safety so that you can begin navigating the world with confidence. This course is an investment in your safety and in the safety of your children and loved ones. It's an investment with an invaluable return, personal power, confidence, and safety. If you are interested in learning what can save your life, please click the link in the show notes or go to www.cynthiajolikerrude.com slash born ready to find out how you can enroll in the Born Ready course. I'm offering it to podcast listeners for just $97. If you enroll using the coupon code podcast, you can make this investment with absolutely no risk because you are covered by my 100% money back guarantee. If within a week of enrolling in the course, you don't feel uplifted, encouraged, and empowered to keep yourself safe, then just send me an email and I'll send you a refund. You and I both know that every woman is born to be a badass. We all have innate power and abilities, but we often don't know that they're there or we don't know how to unleash them. So enroll in Born Ready to feel ready, to be confident, and to live with the freedom that you deserve. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear, you know, your situation growing up in a culture that really values, you know, getting along and being polite and doing Mm -hmm. what you're told and, you know, not causing problems, (laughs) right? Right. Yeah, that's Uh, big time. Yeah, and couple that with, you know, being a kid who is different from other kids, you know, when you start into school and, and you're moving through those years of grade school and, you know, middle school, high school, those ages, that's really rough because that's where our identifications are more with our peers, right? And when we're mm-hmm. not like them, the social dynamics can be brutal, absolutely brutal. Mm-hmm. And if you combine that with, you know, not feeling like it's okay for you to stand up for yourself. You know, that's how people end up getting, you know, developing these patterns and habits that result in them being lifetime victims. Yes. And, you know, so that whole process of 
sorting out if you're a good person, which most of us are, and you don't really want to hurt other people, which most of us don't want to you know, mm-hmm. how do you work through situations so that when you really do need to stand up for yourself and you do need to take action that you can do that and feel okay with it. And, you know, that's girls and boys. I, I totally understand your son being a very sweet and gentle fellow who, you know, he's, he's like, I don't want to get into fights. You know, I don't want to do this. But what you're tapping into with him is like he's a human being, too. And we're all wired. We all come into the world, you know, capable of protecting ourselves. We just can be domesticated out of it. And so you're kind of helping to keep that undomesticated. Yes. You know, tap into your natural being. Absolutely. Uh, part of him still alive. And that's probably what you were operating on, too, as you were going through those years yourself was, you know, without any cognitive understanding of social dynamics and how groups work and stuff like that, you still navigated through it, you know, yes. to become a healthy adult. So <laughs> bravo to you. But also, you know, it's really neat to, to see how that insight is informing you know not just how you're raising your child but how you're helping him navigate through the school system and I'll tell you you're not the first mom that I have heard from who has had a child get bullied like that and then you know tried to deal with it with the school and had the school be absolutely ridiculous you know it's disgraceful yeah I don't really understand why they're so reluctant to deal with kids who are behaving badly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they seem to be much more comfortable imposing restrictions and limitations and things on the kids who are not causing the problem yeah, and yes. not dealing with the others. And yes. I suspect part of it's fear, as you know, coach Blower, it's like fears at the root of a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, I think a lot of it in the schools is fear of what can happen if they have to deal with that family. Yeah, that too. I think so. Yeah. So that's really great that what you went through as a child, what you've learned since, you know, are really exactly what you need in order to help guide your kids through those sort of rocky years. Yes. I mean, I just had a conviction of myself to be okay, to be different. I told my sons to they are different. Of course, they're different because everybody's different. So you're perfect. He's perfect. She's perfect. Know that. And somebody tried to dismiss it. That's on them. So I think they understand how they have. They're supposed to be different. That's why they don't have shame on being different. Yeah. I mean, we should all be celebrating the ways that we are unique and the ways that we are different from everybody else. Absolutely. Unfortunately, that's that's, something to celebrate. Yeah, I really hope so. But that's something that, you know, kids pick on. Right. Adults, too. So have you ever experienced violence? Unfortunately, yes. Mm -hmm. Are you comfortable with describing a little bit of what happened and how you dealt with it? Yes, sure. So violence comes in different forms, right? So many different forms. So personally, so physically, right? I think I was 10 years old. I was bullied, and but I had a bunch of guy friends at the time. And 
one day, I think major three or four girls liked those boys, right? That I was hanging out with. And eight girls circled me in the classroom and beat me up because they didn't like I was hanging out with them. So that was my first experience. Actually, somebody touched me, you know, physically attacked me. And one day, I think I was 13. That's the time when I started really standing up for what I believe against what my father was telling me because we had completely different perspectives for life. And even though I was 13 or 14, it just, I knew he and I are completely different opposite. And I was telling him something across the room and I was watching TV and I saw him walking by in front of me and he stopped quickly and he just punched him in my face, then walked away. So that was his way of saying, like, just shut up and listen to me, right? Father kicked my younger sister off the stairs, excuse me. So that still makes me very sad to know the fact that adult men actually kick this little girl, right? But then, you know, now I know there's so many more horrible things happening to so many different girls and boys. But that's kind of like the beginning of the violence, you know, history that I experienced. So it started, uh, honestly, started from my father in the school. And I was growing up, some boyfriends were very abusive. And you know, but when you were at bottom of that, when you're feeling so rock bottom and somebody was up, for me, that guy was the only person there for me, you just take it. So I had that experience, but then, you know, after that, I just had a very lucky, so to me, somebody who really, really adored me and took care of me. And we ended up breaking up, but the person really helped me to become, you know, separating from being a victim, I should say. How did you process those experiences of, of having had people be, you know, physically, emotionally, verbally abusive? Because I know often like in the moment, you know, it happens. And, and as you said, like, sometimes we don't even think we have a choice to do anything. So we just want right. to stick it out and endure. Right. But when there comes a time to break free of that and you realize like my life does not have to be like that. And I know how hard that is when it's a family member, because you don't feel like, you know, just cut a parent out of your life completely. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you realize that you can actually extricate yourself and, and make different choices about the people that you allow in. It seems like it's pretty common that once you've kind of escaped it, that's where all of the stuff kind of wells back up again and says, Hey, okay, now you need to deal with this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That makes sense. How did you process through that? And what was helpful in doing that? I hear that that particular person that you met and were with for a while really helped with that, but was there anything else that really helped you process through 
what it had been like to be on the receiving end of that kind of abuse? You know, I listen to music a lot. I had a favorite band, Japanese band. I listened to them all the time and kind of like cheering myself up. So you're your own coach, right? You're your own cheerleader because at the end of the day, it's just you, you know? Yes, you are born here. You may have a parents and you may not have a parents, but no matter where you are, no matter what it is, that's what I realized at early age. You know what? My parents are my parents as a title, but they're a human being too. They're men and women. So I analyzed it and rationalized it. So this person, my father, yes, he's a father, but he's a man, he's a human being, and this person is different from me, right? So I didn't give him, I stopped expecting him to be my father. Mm -hmm. I stopped expecting my mother to be my mother. So whatever happened, I stopped that person to be if that happens between the friends, right? I stopped that person to be my friend. So I took it as, you know what? That was my expectation. That was my misjudgment, misguided that. So I kind of stopped attaching anything with anybody. So in other words, I don't see people with colored lenses. That makes so much sense to me because what you're basically describing is, you know, having this this belief about how a person is supposed to be if they're in a particular right. role, you know, so whether that's a parent or right. a boyfriend, you know, or something else, like we have this picture. I had this with my ex-husband, you know, right. like I had this picture of like how he was supposed to show up in my life and be as my husband. Right. And finally recognizing that that was my picture. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and exactly. that the actual person was not really showing up in life like that, <laughs> that was the big turning point. And it sounds like that was exactly what you did. And and underneath all of that, also what I'm hearing <laughs> is like you stop taking it personally. That's exactly and right. Yeah. I think both of those things, those are huge. Yeah. I think it's so important for a couple of reasons, but first you can really become objective, right? Like you can expand your perception and perspectives Because once you stop attaching yourself to something, you can be independent and you cannot be influenced by that title or, you know, what you're supposed to be, why this should have happened, could have happened, right? Because it didn't happen. So we see things how we are, not how it is. So when I started doing that, I started seeing things how it is, not how I am or how, what I expected or how should have happened. So that made me become more real, you know, embrace the reality, embrace the fact, rather than holding on to my ideal picture or ideal person, idea, simply idea. Rather than holding on to the idea, I just face the facts and what go from there. Yes. You know, what is coming up in my mind right now is something that we teach in the spear system, right? Which is accept what's happening, get challenged and take action. And I think that accept what's happening piece is often the hardest piece because 
we don't, number one, we often get stuck in like, why is this happening? Why is he doing this? You know, Mm -hmm. this can't possibly be happening to me. You know, we get stuck in that, that not accepting what's happening is actually being real. And so we don't ever get to the step two, which is like get challenged and then take action. And this acceptance of like, okay, I know what I wish were true. And here's what's really going on. I think that is such an important thing to be able to do. And I think it's a skill. I think it's something that we develop over time. Yes. To really start to say, okay, well, this feels really rotten. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, why? And like you're pointing out, it's an attachment to that wish (laughs) or that belief. Yeah. And it's really, like you said, it's skill. It's a skill set. And we can't expect anybody just get right into the, you know, mindset. Like that's just not, it doesn't happen like that. Yep. Well, I would like to hear how you got into martial arts and what that journey was like, because I know that you did a lot of martial arts before you ended up doing self-defense. Yes. I still practice martial arts and I love it. It's a great way to, for me to release stress and get physically fit and produce, you know, hormone and be feeling happy and all that. I practice Wonghop Kendo, which is a part of Kajukenbo. I don't know if you heard of it. It's the original form of MMA, mixed martial arts, originated in Hawaii back in 1950s. I should say probably started in 1950s, yeah. Probably officially formed in late 1950s or 60s. And one of the founders was still enjoying his life in Hawaii, uh, Sifu Aldacascos. He's my Sifu, he's my teacher. And I had a pleasure of training with him last several years. Before that, I did Muay Thai kickboxing. You know, I do BJJ, a bunch of stuff because we call it mean martial arts. Uh, it's not mixed martial arts. I do street fighting too. So you bite, you spit, you do all sort of stuff, right? Improvised weapon. We do Filipino martial arts, all combined. Yep. That's awesome. I knew there was a reason why I really liked you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I guess I was doing like a self-defense in actual violence. What will happen kind of thing in a martial arts setting, but Sifu Adekaskos has his system, street fighting system. We call it offensive defense, street fighting. And that's basically getting ready for preparedness for ambush. It's not like, you know, it doesn't apply for domestic violence or interpersonal relationship conflicts. But if something happens on a street by a stranger, this will do this kind of thing. It's a street fighting system. So I was doing that in the form of martial arts. So it just self-defense came natural to me. But still, that was a form of art. And I was looking for something because... I can do all sort of kicks, crescent kicks, you know, back, whatever, the side kick and jump kick and whatever. But my mom is not going to be able to do this. You know, she's 73. Mm-hmm. My son is not going to be able to do this. And quite frankly, even though no matter how long, how hard I train, I was talking to Trav, Trav from Fight Smart. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's like, so he goes, 
if I'm here, I'm like six, six, well, he's like six, one, I think, and 200 pounds and you are 110 pounds and five, three. What are the chances you, you know, beating me up? I'm like, you know, probably 10%, honestly, if I can like right. high, high kick and, you know, hit right in the spot, or maybe I can do the rib shot just because you are so not ready and I can put my little bony fist in there. I can. You mean if you get lucky? Yeah. Yeah. If I get lucky <laughs> and maybe I can buy a few seconds and that's probably my best shot. Right. So I knew what I was doing in a cage or dojo or even street fighting system. I'm not actually ready or I am totally not ready. I should say when somebody attacks me when in case of arm push. So I was looking for a solution. I was looking for something because it, what is this? What is this, right? What's missing? I didn't even know what's missing. And that led me to host the Women's Self-Defense Summit in 2020 because I wanted to learn from people who are in the industry for a long time and what they're teaching. Then that's when I met Tony Blower and Tony Blower happens to know my seafood out of Costco's and he was kind enough to come to the um, summit as a speaker. And that's how I started learning about what he teaches. And you know what? This makes so much sense. And that was a missing piece that I was looking for that in martial arts, you know, not the, mm-hmm. are you ready? Are you ready? Let's fight. But when I was not ready, like just walking on the street, no, I'm not ready. What are we going to do? <laughs> that was my biggest fear, honestly. And Spear System filled that whole missing piece in me. So I'm forever grateful for that. Oh, that's cool. I think that there are a lot of us in Coach Blower's community who had a similar path of you know starting out in martial arts and then discovering the spear system and going, that's what I was missing. Mm-hmm. You know, not everything I've done so far is wrong, but like this is the piece that makes it all work. <laughs> yeah, no, I that's exactly right. Yeah. This is not a you know martial arts bashing, crab maga bash or anything like that. But spear system is really a bridge to between the you know human reaction to what you can actually do, your capability. So you mentioned in your bio that you had some serious injuries when you were training in, in martial <laughs> yes. arts. What happened then? Yeah, so, you know, you probably figured out, I'll go all in, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, I know that about you now. <laughs> yeah, I'm an all-in person. When I decide to do something, I go all in. So I was sparring and because I like to go all in, which means because I was practicing martial arts, thinking that self-defense, which means I was always going specifically, like intentionally picking bigger guys, right? And mm-hmm. to spar because no woman's going to attack me. Like I'll kick their butt, you know? So I was picking specifically big guys, heavy guys. And one time this like, this guy's like six, four or five, really tall. <laughs> and we were sparring and honest, all he had to do was just put his hand out, right? Because I can't reach him, but he can uh-huh. totally reach me. 
He didn't have to do anything. All he had to do was stick his hand out and just, you know, hit my face twice and give me concussion. Oh, dear. Yeah. That's just, I don't know if we had a concussion before or post-concussion syndrome. It's just bad. I had a suicidal thoughts, you know, became depressed. Yeah, it was really bad. But you had a serious brain injury. It, it is, yeah. And I think my husband says since that concussion, like definitely like not remembering things that much or you know, slow. And I noticed that too. But again, going back to like what I was talking about at the beginning, the breathing technique is has been helping me with that. But going back to the injury, so that right. And I love Muay Thai, I love kicks, I love kicking. Okay. <laughs> I just mm-hmm. love kicking. <laughs> and again, going against this big guy. And I think I did, I was going for his knee. I probably was kicking low kick, low kick. And I kind of, you know, fractured my foot. I think as soon as that healed, I went back to the practice and I got bone bruise on the same area. And you know, by cuts and bruises, that's like, if you don't have a bruise, it's like, what's wrong with you? You're not training hard enough. Yeah. I had to explain to people like, no, this is not domestic violence. I, <laughs> I, I had to do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. People looking at me so weird, you know, like when you go to nail salon, like, are you okay? Like, what's going on? I'm like, no, no, no. Like I train, like I do I used to have the same thing because I not only was doing martial arts, but I was doing CrossFit too. So I forever Mm. had bruises everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. So I started wearing like. You needed high gear. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Back then. Yeah. I know. Right. I wish I knew there's a gear to protect myself. But yeah, I was like bone to bone, muscle to muscle, you know, because I was preparing for the war since the real violent encounters. Yeah. But then I realized it's really that- interesting though, Kinko, because, yeah. because that style of just, you know, impact flesh to flesh, mm-hmm. you know, be a monster kind of interaction like that really comes from that masculine mindset. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And it's funny because one of the things that coach Blauer said that really sank into my brain was, you know, training may hurt, but it should never injure. I was like, oh, I get it. And this is why having high gear is so cool because you can amp up the power. And, you know, you may get some bruises and bumps, but you shouldn't get injured. I can so relate to this desire to take on the biggest, baddest, nasty (laughs) dude in the class because I used to do that too. (laughs) But, you know, the downside that I found, and I don't know if you experienced this too, was when doing drills and things with these big dudes, I would often be successful in the drills because I was supposed to be, you know, so they were cooperating. (laughs) So that I could learn the technique and do the technique right. And what that was building in me was this belief that I would be able to do it in the street. And like the thing that always comes to mind with this is doing like wrist releases. I've mentioned before, like I have teeny weeny little hands and wrists and like these dudes, their fingers would wrap all the way around and then some. So the only way I would escape is because they were cooperating with me. A real 
nasty dude who grabs me by the wrist is not going to cooperate and say, okay, here, you know, you did the technique, right? So I'm going to let go. Did you experience anything like that? Yes. That's the biggest eye opener when I started training with Sifu Aldakas because real street fighting. Yes, there were, because I was the only girl there, right? And I was the (laughs) smallest. And I mean, we do like, what is it? Multiple asylums and stuff. I'm like Kinko versus six men. And so many different, like 300 pound guy to 185 pure muscle guys to, I mean, forget it. When that happened, right? I knew, oh my gosh, none of the things that I did work. And I just didn't know what to do with it. Like I didn't know what to do. That was the biggest like thing that froze me. Like I didn't know what to do because that's not something that I imagined or experienced in dojo. It was not one-on-one, you know, not even mm-hmm. one and two, it was one and six. I mean, forget it. Once it becomes one and two, it's just, you know, hand to hand or whatever. Just no way. People say like, do this technique or, you know, whatever. But size matters, power matters, force matters. And it just doesn't work as I imagined. So street, street, what happens on the street, what happens in dojo are completely different. And I wish martial art, martial artists or martial arts instructors teach us that because they, we build, like you said, we build such false confidence and we feel like we're badass on the street without really understanding. No, we are practicing under strict rules, strict guidelines smooth surface, no weapons, no one-on-one, you know, it's just Mm -hmm. nothing like real violence. And I versus eight girls, when I had experience first time when I got beat up, no martial arts told me that. And it's what, you know, again, referring back to coach Blower, you know, it's what he describes in the four different categories and how big a distinction there is between sport and violence. And uh, I learned multiple attacker stuff when I was training for third degree. And that was even part of my test was sparring with multiple opponents. And there are things that you can do. There's little tricks you can do to kind of get them to line up, you know, so you only have to deal with one at a time and stuff like that. And like, woohoo, that's really cool. Out on the street, if you're walking home and, you know, you get surrounded by six men, yeah. You're not going, oh, well, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to find the one who looks like the leader and I'm going to line everybody up behind him and then I'm going to deal with this one. I mean, this is like, yeah, it's not even a thing. No. And, and it's not sparring, and with, you know? Exactly. We're not, we're not looking for opening. No. Maybe you're looking for opening, but the bad guys are not. Right. And is a great example of, you know, the sparring is consensual. Mm-hmm. And, there's no thought about, well, how did you end up in this situation? Right. And yeah. this is where the distinction between the martial arts and self-defense comes in because with the self-defense scenario, question number one is what the hell are you doing out on the street in the middle of the night in an environment where six men can come out of the shadows and surround you? 
You know, yeah. how did you end up there? What were yeah. the choices that you made? So that's a really big distinction. And I love that, you know, although you were, you did the pure martial arts and the sport of it and the mm-hmm. sparring of it. And then you did, you know, the street fighting, which is definitely not that. No, you, know, you had that kind of like, wait a minute, wait a minute <laughs> kind yeah. of moment. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so get it. Yeah. Like once you understand the difference and again, not bashing martial arts at all, because you love them as much as I do. Right. Um, but really understanding the difference between those martial arts and those wonderful sport techniques where you have time and space and you're not really trying to disable, you know, injure or kill somebody. That's really important. So I love that you got that realization at a point where you could actually then go, well, I need to learn something else. Yeah. And, you know, I quickly realized that, you know what, I have to avoid this. I have to avoid this, like no matter what. If I didn't experience that street fighting training, I will be probably thinking like I'm still a badass and I, you know, I'm a wonder woman and I can just kick everybody's butt. Because more you become good at it, right? More techniques, you know, more people you submit, like you just become more confident in what you do, but that's great. But it's just completely disregarding scenarios and situations and real scenarios. So I think it's important for martial artists who are practicing martial arts as a part of self-defense or thinking self-defense like I used to think. It's very important for them to even just, you know, touch on the experience street fighting scenario, something like that, and see how actually how you react or how the emotional impact, you know, psychological impact and all that, because until then, it's impossible for anybody to really know what it's like to protect yourself unless you're experienced it. Well, and that's where the role of the scenario-based training comes in. Right. And, you know, what scenarios you actually train is really important. You know, the scenarios that you might want your son to train in are very different from the scenarios that you might want to train in. Like you mentioned earlier, you know, what men do (laughs) (laughs) and that in domestic violence situations, a lot of the stuff that we learn, even in self-defense classes sometimes isn't appropriate because it's not dealing with something that comes out of an interaction between people that already have a connection and already know each other. You know, we tend to train mostly for the stranger attacks, you know, and it sounds like with the street fighting things, there is a lot of that. And that, that comes from that male life experience. Oh, can you talk a little bit about, you know, how important it is or how we actually create experiences, training experiences for women that are relevant? Yes. So it depends, right? Like you just mentioned today's self-defense industry in this Western world, it's simply that it's for ambush. What if somebody attacks you, comes with a bat, comes with a knife, comes, you know, demands you money. But those skills, how to survive on the street, it becomes very important. If you are a girl or you are a woman, 
and live in India or Pakistan or that, you know, or Egypt or that kind of the world, right? Third world mm-hmm. country. It's extremely relevant and they live in rape fear every day, every second of their lives. So that's so important. But if we talk about this Western world or I'm from Japan and developed country, you know, first world countries, nobody actually jumps out of the bush or I don't wanna say nobody. In our world, there is so much violence happen. Violence against women is actually happening at home or the workplace. And for women, I would like to start my class with kind of setting up the containers for to understand your trauma responses. The number shows, right? One in four female are sexually assaulted, but that's just the reported ones. Some number even shows one in three women, right? It's American Indian woman. Mm-hmm. But how many women actually report? If you go to a Me Too group, Facebook group, or anything like that, I mean, majority of women never reported. Okay. So I assume everybody who comes to a class has an experience, violent encounter before. That's how I conduct my class. So it's very important that, and it's very irresponsible for self-defense instructors or especially men to say self-defense is the same between men and women and completely disregards that women actually experience violence completely differently, right? So it's very important that we understand that and assume everybody who comes to class has an unfortunate experience. So I would like to share the trauma responses, right? Some people just get angry or some people agitated. Some people may dissociate. There are different trauma responses. And so we have to understand that. And we instructors need to know individuals' responses. And also participants need to understand what their responses are. Because it kind of just, yeah. Can you dive into that a little bit? Because we haven't really talked about trauma responses on the show yet. So I think people may not even really understand what they are and and why it's so important to know, you know, what they are and how they may be playing out when you do something like take a self-defense class. Yes. So trauma responses are brain of natural way to protect ourselves. And trauma is different, right, among individuals. Some people, for example, there's a few different trauma responses, five categories, actually. Being on time, okay, that's starting class on time may be normal thing for you, right? And if the class starts like one minute late, that could be a trigger to somebody. If somebody is raised in extremely regimented, strict environment like I was, that was my trauma response. Something starts late or somebody is late even a minute or five minutes. 
I get agitated, like really, really angry. Okay, that was my trauma response. And, but some people, if they don't like, that may not bother, right? That's not, may not bother you, but it may bother somebody. So you just never know how you react, but whatever the reaction is, that's most likely related to trauma you are exposed to or you've experienced. So trauma response means you react normal thing or considered to be normal environment or normal thing, activities, abnormally. Mm-hmm, that makes okay? sense. So that's trauma response, right? So it's important. Why it's important to know? Because so that you know, oh my gosh, I thought I was just... I don't know why I guess always angry at somebody, you know, cut me off. Right. And then it's road rage. Like I was one of them. I have to say when somebody cuts me off, like that person cannot hear me, but I just yell at the person. Why? There's no way the person can hear me. Right. But I did it. It was my trauma response because I grew up listening to that. I grew up listening. My father did that. Right. So that's a form of abuse, by the way, because obviously somebody is saying something, you know, nasty things or whatever that you don't want to say on the show to somebody that who cannot hear you. So who is listening to you? Right. People in the car, your kids, right? Your partner or your family members. Right. So it's a form of abuse. So those things you may not realize, but those gets accumulated, accumulated and a form reaction. And you react that way. But that was based on your experience. So I've studied this and I've started continuing to study this because understanding trauma response, Cynthia, is healing. Because you can finally... For me, I felt like I found an answer to my behavior. Why do I get angry for this? Why do I feel sad for this? Why do I get depressed for this? Why do I dissociate? Like, why do I feel like it's nothing to do with me, even though it's happening to my son, you know? So Mm -hmm. you can start analyzing your behavior. And once you understand the response, You can analyze the behavior. Therefore, you can make a different choice, right? Because if you don't know what's going on, there's you can't come up with a solution. But if you know what's causing you, what's happening, then you have an option to change if you like to. And I chose to change that. So understanding trauma response is important. And I highly suggest... If you are instructor, self-defense instructor, I highly suggest you to learn about it. And if you not self-defense instructors or trainers, but if you have some bizarre <laughs> behavior or like, why did I do that again? You know, why did I yell at my kids again, for example? Or why did I do this again? You know what? That's probably a trauma response. You might want to look it up. And if you understand that, the cause. I have a great news for you. There's a solution. I really appreciate that because I have experienced myself having those moments of like, what the hell is wrong with me? Why did I respond that way? Why did this 
you know, make me respond like that. Like, that's not me. I don't get why I did that. And what you're talking about, about getting curious and digging into the underlying cause and the fact that often the underlying cause is a response to previous trauma. I think that is such a helpful insight because if we don't dig into it, then we just feel like there's something wrong with us and there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah. You know, it's important because especially doing the work, the self-defense work, like shit comes up, especially when we do scenarios. And I've had women in classes who, you know, told me ahead of time what they had experienced and we're like, but I'm good to go. You know, I want to do this. And I'm like, I want to do the scenarios. And, and then afterwards have just, you know, had the gales of tears or needed to go, you know, sit in the bathroom by themselves for 20 minutes or, you know, any number of things like that to kind of process it because it was so that's where the transformation for them happened. Yes. You know, it takes a ton of courage to go ahead and step in to the arena, so to speak, and say, I'm really going to work with this even though I know I've been traumatized before and I may not have sorted out all of my trauma responses, you know, but I, I want to get to the other side of it, even though it's going to be scary and it can be painful and it can feel really, really, really mm-hmm. wrong because it's not normal. Right. Mm-hmm. But on the other side of it, when you tap into your own power and you experience maybe a scenario that is exactly like the one that you were traumatized through mm-hmm. and you prevail, that can be transformative and really life-changing. So this whole understanding of previous trauma and you're right that most women who come to courses or do programs have experienced something. And there's no really essential for us to know and and work with in a very, there's gotta be so much trust in order for us to work with people. Yes. And there's no way for you to know what's actually triggering you you know, triggering certain behavior, right? Mm-hmm. We may have an idea, but it may not be. So rather than trying to find out what caused this trauma response, I'd like to invite all of you to just learn about the trauma response. And when you respond in a certain way, I'd like you to think, you know, oh, this is a trauma response. I'm responding to trauma, not to this person or not to the situation. And that will give you so much relief and so much elevate your self-awareness, right? Mm-hmm. And it's really a healing process and self-protection, self-defense. You know, people think about, like I thought, self-defense is about kicking, punching and being a badass and, you know, gun you know shooting guns and doing knives and stuff like that but prevention is the best medicine in everything and that includes healing i believe healing arts because again even though we are all born perfect and we're still perfect we have so many scars that need to be healed and we don't even know where those scars are we don't even know how deep the scar is but one of the ways for you to find out is to really knowing the trauma responses, then you can, oh, you know, again, identify and then you can work on just identify, being able to identify your trauma response will relieve you so much and it's healing. So healing is part of self-protection, right? 
I love that you said that because I have a question for you exactly about that, which is like, how do you reconcile being a healer with also being somebody who teaches women how to hurt people who assault them? So can you dig into that? Absolutely. You're right. You're onto something really cool. That's a very good question, Cynthia. And I would like to say to you is that self-defense people think, Again, it's by hurting people. No, you know, Tim Larkin said it right. He said that violence is a tool, right? So this is a very hard concept to grasp, especially for women, because we've been growing up saying, you know, hurt hearing, well, don't hit back, don't hit, don't do this, don't do that, right? And stabbing people is bad. Punching people is bad. Tim Larkin says this in one of his books, you know, you're in the kitchen, Right. You're cutting the vegetables or whatever. And you totally forgot the side door is unlocked when you realize some stranger walked in and uh, grabbed you from the rear. And you're trying to fight back. And you know what? You realize there's a knife that you are using to cut the vegetables. You're trying to reach it. And the bad guy grabbed that knife first and stabbed you in the neck and you die. Right. The next scenario is exactly the same. The difference is the bad guy grabs you from the back exactly the same way. And you know what? You reach the knife first and you stab him into death. So he's dead. The difference is just either you use the violence first or didn't use it, right? So violence is a tool. And when you have to defend yourself, you really have to Give yourself permission to live, not to hurt the others, but to live. So using violence, violence is a tool and it's absolutely not necessary if you live, you know, daily life. And if you can talk to a person and calm the person down, calm yourself down. Right. But self-defense is not about hurting people it is about that's why i don't like the word self-defense because defend is somebody's already attacking me and i have to fight back i'm already kind of starting from the negative point and i'm trying to come back to zero or maybe plus one so i like to use the term personal protection or prevention safety prevention you know violence prevention because you never want to find yourself in a situation, especially if you experience that violence. You never want to do that again. You never want to be in their situation. You don't want to put your kids in that situation. So what are you going to do? you got to prevent violence. So with tying into healing, because I approach self-defense or personal protection as prevention, preventative method, and the healing is an active ongoing process but also prevention right so for example again try to eat organic as much as possible non-gmo why because i'm a preve- i've seen so many cancer patients cynthia and I, because i worked with them i don't want to be that so i know what they ate i know how they i know their lifestyles right so i want to prevent being in the situation, following their cancer's uh, footsteps. That's why I prevent. I do, you know, healthy stuff as much as possible. I do exercise, drink water, you know, talking to their friends, get the sunlight, the sunshine, right? 
So that's a prevention. So people, majority of people misunderstand self-defense. I think because of the word defend, you already kind of, you know, victimized before even you are victimized. So healing and personal protection, aka self-defense, they are both prevention. We should approach it as a preventative method. That makes a lot of sense to me. And it also, like, I can see how understanding your trauma experiences and how that leads to certain responses in different situations is just the same really as understanding things that have affected your physical health, right? It's really mm-hmm. the self-awareness of getting curious and saying, you know, this particular part of me, this particular part of my life, whether it's a physical thing or an emotional or psychological thing is not working optimally right now. It's damaged and needs some healing and some recovery. Yeah. And then addressing that. Yeah, exactly. That just some needs a little love, you know, little attention because we tend to ignore it. We tend to think, you know, that's who I am. That's how I react. That's what it is. It is what it is, like you often said. But it is not. If you think it is not how you want to be or how you want to react to take action, then, you know, that's an opportunity for you. And it's good thing is that automatic response. You're not intentionally doing it. Just like flinch, right? We learn that in the spear system. It's an automatic physiological response. And you can train that, right? You can develop a new neural pattern. Just like you can train your muscle, you can train that neural pattern. So you can train your response as well. Healing is about going back to your divinity. Again, I know I feel like a broken Siri recorder or something, but we're all born with natural healing ability. We're all born. If you cut your cut somewhere, it heals itself. You know, if the nails fall off, nails come back. Why? Because we have a healing ability. Because we start taking lots of medications, heavily relying on medications, then you know, I give an example. So if you are not feeling good, like digestively, right? Like you have a stomach issue and there are so many things you can do with food or herbs and stuff. But if you start taking prescription drugs, again, I'm not a doctor and don't take this in Please consult with your professionals, doctors. But my approach is I would like to promote my healing ability rather than outsourcing the healing. So I do everything I could possibly do to make it happen. And sometimes, yes, I borrow medicines, but if you keep taking that chronically, right, then my stomach acid is going to say, you know what? I don't have to work that hard because this Mr. Medicine is coming in and working instead of me. So why would I work? And they stopped working. Then... Mm -hmm. You need to start taking medications and you'll never be able to get off. So that's kind of like a simple analogy, but that's how we inhibit our inner ability. The same thing, healing and also personal protection. We inhibit our intuition, you know, instinct, gut feelings, all that. 
So all we have to do, especially now, is to just get in touch with yourself. Know, learn the proper breathing, learn to eat properly. Yes, it's an adjustment, but you know what? Living healthier and happier and safer, right? And if you want to change something, if you want to become a better person, if you want to have a better relationship, whatever it is, you can have that. And it's a one decision away. It's always a one decision away. And know you have everything in you. So going back to your question, healing and personal protection, it's all both preventative method and measurement. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. They're both preventing future problems, but they're also both about addressing existing ones that have come from previous experience. Yes. And I think uh, one of the things I've had a couple guests on the show who are actual therapists, which of course, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not as a self-defense or personal safety coach. I'm not a therapist, but I've had some some women on who are who do work with people who have had trauma to Mm -hmm. help them release it. And I think one of the most important things that I learned from them is that it's never too late to actually work through prior trauma and that there are some great tools to help you do that. And there's actually a growing population of therapists who are specifically focused on helping not just your mind, but your body process and release trauma. So I guess I'll I'll put in the show notes, the numbers of those episodes with the healers that I've had on who do that specific kind of work, because this is something for me, this is, it's not a pet peeve, but it's one of the things that I realized in my own journey of understanding self-defense was that most programs and most coaches kind of stop at the incident. It's like, you know, we'll teach you how to recognize and avoid danger and we'll teach you how to Mm. change the dynamics of a situation so it doesn't go sideways but you know we'll also teach you like if you absolutely have to fight physically how to do that and Mm. then that's kind of where it stops Mm -hmm. and for me I just was like well but if you are in something if something does happen and you do have a physical encounter well then what Like nobody, very few people, I won't say nobody, because I know some people who do now, (laughs) very few people actually say, okay, well, this is how to deal with the aftermath, you know, Mm -hmm. the immediate aftermath, and then, you know, further down the road. Right. So I just, I want to make sure that, you know, listeners understand that we really want to address the entire sequence of, of actions on that whole pathway from avoidance to dealing in the moment to dealing with the aftermath. And and that's another place where understanding trauma responses is, is really important. Yeah. And it's a trauma healing is a long, tedious road, but it is absolutely worth it. And there are so many tools, like you say, available now and you can find a solution. You, there is something always out there. For me, really learning about trauma made me question so many things taught in the self-defense industry as well. I think you mentioned that earlier, Cynthia, but today's self-defense industry is a, really about, again, how to avoid, you know, be situational aware, pay attention, and when there's something happened, this is what you're going to do. But 
again, I assume anybody who comes to the course or program or class has experienced already some sort of form. Those people are not going to come in. All right, let's go. Stand up. Let's go. All right. You know, grab here, grab there. No, that's just so reckless and is so irresponsible for us to do that, especially dealing with women and children. Because, you know, I think the latest number I saw the other day was one in, gosh, it was this astonishing number, one in three or four girls, like younger age, I forgot, is abused, reported number. And one in five boys, one in six boys is abused, right? That's only reported number. So it's an astonishing number of children are suffering this moment every day. So that part of traumatized people are coming to your class. You know, even school, you go to school and they teach those self-defense classes. You have no idea what those children experience at home. You don't know anything about them. You just can't go out there and, you know, well, this is happening. This is what you're going to do. Like, I believe if you're going to call yourself self-defense instructors, you must be educated on trauma-informed self-defense, self-care. Otherwise, you are risking them to be re-traumatized. And that's just disservice. That's just not something that you want to do because you started doing this you know, uh, profession as to help people and against your intention, it may not happen. So I think it's, it's so critical for all of us to learn about trauma, trauma responses and how to create a safe container, how to, obviously we're not going to be able to cater every single one of them because we don't know them, but we do as much as possible and keep improving and keep creating safe environment at much higher and deeper level is crucial. I love that. Thank you for bringing that perspective out because I think that is probably one of the most important things for both coaches and potential clients and students to know is, you know, that we are aware of the fact that many of our students have already experienced some sort of trauma and abuse and that we're sensitive to it. And, you know, we're working with that and we may not be perfect. We probably Mm -hmm. aren't, but we're always, you know, we have the commitment to make the experience of learning how to protect yourself, be something that is positive and empowering, not something that is re-traumatizing. Right. Thank you for bringing that out. So we've been talking for more than an hour and a half. I think we could probably go for another three hours. <laughs> well, maybe not today. So yeah, I, have, yeah. I have one more question for you before we wrap it up. Sure. So how do you think that women can develop their own personal power and courage? Personal power and courage? Mm-hmm. Personal power and courage. Can you define personal power? Yeah, it's funny. I actually use that because I first learned about it when I was back in my original martial arts school where they had a little saying that was personal power is taking action now. And I think that may have come from Tony Robbins. But for me, you know, it's that sense of agency, you know, that you have the power yourself Mm -hmm. to take action. So how to take action? Yeah. How can you develop your own power and your own courage? I think it's personal. 
it depends on the individual. So it's like a, saying, what's the scenario? What's the person? What's the individual scenario? Right? So it'd be different for me to say to you and also to say to my son or my girlfriend. So my answer to that would be it's individual and personalized. But if there is a common thing that anybody can do would be, I would say practice mindfulness. Learn to be, learn to talk to you, not even, learn to connect to your intuition. Learn to breathe properly. Learn to feel your body. Learn to know your body. And that could rediscover yourself because you are buried in so much blanket, so many blankets, so much weight. And I think most of us don't even know who we are. And maybe we think we know who we are, but probably missing uh, so many layers, shining layers under the blankets. So I'll encourage everybody to practice mindfulness that starts with proper breathing and positive self-talk. Coach yourself, be your cheerleader and really start learning, you know, making, becoming your best friend, making, like getting to know yourself again. I think that's going to be that something that I would like to share. I love that. And one reason that I love that is because what you're talking about really is a lifelong process. It's not like, well, you can do this in your teens and then you're good for the rest of your life. It's like this is a lifelong process of discovering and celebrating yourself. Yes, really. It's about that. Yeah, I love it. Well, Kinko, before we go, uh, yes. I would like for you to let people know how to get in touch with you. And I think you also were offering a, a gift of some sort to our listeners that they go to your site and grab. So tell them how to find you and tell them what you're offering. Yes. So if you'd like to get in touch with me, please do. My Instagram is at Hamilton Kinko. But my website is naturallawofselfdefense.com naturallawofselfdefense.com and I give away I love you to download Women's Self-Defense Guide PDF and after that if you resonate with me I'd love to get on the call with you and see what I can do to help you to be become and feel safer faster Awesome. And um, just to give a quick shout out to the self-defense, the Women's Self-Defense Summit, because yes. I bet you there's a 2021 coming up, isn't yes, there? Yes, Cynthia. Thank you so much. Yes. So, so excited. Women's Self-Defense Summit 2021. It's coming up this October 27, 28, 29th. And I'll have about 25 top experts to talk about different topics, 25 different topics, could be more. And this is important because one, I'm doing this summit to challenge today's self-defense industry. And I think you know about me by now. I'm all in, I'm challenging this industry because I really like to change the perception of self-defense and personal protection. 
Number two, I'm doing this to raise money for charity of my choice, which I've been supporting for the last six years, Operation Underground Railroad. OUR is a rescue organization for human trafficking victims, and they provide aftercare worldwide. A human trafficking helping human trafficking victims is passion of mine. No children should suffer this way. And I love you to join the summit and be a part of this movement and change the world and be the change that you'd like to see in the world. Yes. Awesome sauce. Well, I can't wait because the first iteration in 2020 was fabulous. And I'm sure 2021 is going to be as good, if not better. And oh, I love yes. that you're supporting human trafficking victims. That is also a cause that is near and dear to my heart too. So love it. And I encourage everybody to stay tuned. I will definitely be sharing about that when it's coming up so that you know where to go. And if you get onto Kinko's list, I'm sure she's going to be emailing about that and letting you know when it's coming and how to get access to it. So yes, sweet. Awesome. Well, Kinko, this has been so much fun. I love what you're up to. I love that you geek out and nerd out on things and go all in because it's, it's just fun to listen to somebody who really does the work and then can connect things together in new ways. I think what you're doing is amazing. And I'm so glad that we get to train together this summer too, which is going to be so excited. I can't wait to hit you, Cynthia. (laughs) (laughs) Likewise, (laughs) we'll be wearing our high gear. I think that's right. (laughs) Yes, it's going to be great. Well, thank you, Kinko, for coming on the show. This has been a real pleasure. My pleasure. So much for having me. This is Born to Be a Badass podcast. Stay safe and be a badass. You've been listening to the Born to Be a Badass podcast, the groundbreaking show that shines the light on women, violence and safety, life after trauma, and how to build personal power and courage. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode and share it with your friends, family members, and colleagues. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review that will help our show reach more women around the world. Tune in regularly for more exciting conversations full of insights and wisdom you won't hear anywhere else. And until next time, embrace your inner badass.